0: Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you so very much. It's a joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. And uh, I better not hear an amen right now when I say this, but I probably will. This is the last week of a series we started way back when in the month of January. I've, I've never done a series this long. I may never do a series this long again. It was something God put on my heart a long time ago. But yes, we are at the end of a journey here. We have been in a series entitled Return to the Upper Room as we've been listening closely to hear the very heartbeat of Jesus from his last words at his last supper. We started in January in John 13 and we end today in the final words of John 17. Five chapters, 155 verses and today's the 31st message in this series. And I I said years ago, Lord, maybe one day Maybe one day, Lord, you'll you'll give me the opportunity to preach what I think is one of the most important sections of the entire Bible. Now, the entire Bible is the Word of God, so I don't want to say that one section is more important than another, but one of the reasons why I've gone slow, I've said it's like South Georgia barbecue, I've been cooking it low and slow since January, and it's been falling off the bone. And one of the reasons why is you have to stop and think, if there was one meal that Jesus thought it was important enough to put in his word 155 verses of what he shared with his disciples. Perhaps there's no better place for us to hear the beat of his heart. And that's what we've been doing. And um, well, I think today's a perfect summary of everything that he said since January. Uh, as we look at uh, John 17 verses 20 through 26, the title of our message here this morning is One Heartbeat. So if we've been listening to the heart of Jesus in these five chapters since January, we're going to summarize the whole thing here today and in the, in the final words of John 17 as we hear this prayer. And his prayer for us and my prayer for us is that we're going to care most about what Jesus cares about most and we're going to have one heartbeat as a church family for what Jesus has been sharing with us in the upper room. So it's pretty simple, what's our big idea? What do I want us to see as we look at John 17 in the final verses in verses 20 through 26? In one sentence, here's here's where we're gonna be at as we look at John 17. Jesus prays for us to share one heartbeat with him just as he shares one heartbeat with the Father. Jesus prays for us to share one heartbeat with him just as he shares one heartbeat with the Father. Basically, we're gonna see Jesus praying to his disciples, and he's saying, Father, as you and I are one, I want my disciples and me to be one. And as Jesus is talking to his disciples, So he is talking to us. And what does he want us to have one heartbeat over? I'm glad you asked. If you want to know, you'll have to join me in the book of John. Again, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We're on page 1074 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, Take a deep breath, Cedar Street. We've reached the end. Okay, John 17, starting in verse 20, and we'll work our way through the end of verse 26. Hear God's word to us through his servant, the apostle John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, giving us the very words of Jesus himself. Jesus says in his prayerful words, starting in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word In them. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray directly to you at this moment. You have showed us your heart through your word, and we listen to your heartbeat through this prayer. And as you pray to the Father, you ask that we would have one heartbeat with you as you have eternally had with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus, I pray that for this church. I pray that for those that know you in this community, that we would be of one heartbeat, that the world would look at us and the world would say, surely there is a God in heaven because there's no other way that so many different people from so many different backgrounds could come together and be so focused on what is most important. Oh, Lord, we lose track of that every day. We are a distracted people. We are a disunified people. And I pray through your word and your spirit this morning that you would help us to get one heartbeat and care about what you care about and to be on mission with what you have commissioned us to go and do and that's make disciples of all nations. So be with us now, I pray, Jesus. In your precious name, I pray. And God's people said, Amen. amen. So again, we're at the end of John 17, and I mentioned this for a couple of weeks. I'll mention it one more time. John 17, the whole chapter is one prayer of Jesus, and it's unique and it's special because in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you hear Jesus pray, you only typically hear one or two verses, and it's because Jesus is praying to the Father for the power to perform miracles so that the world would know that Jesus is the Son of God. When Jesus wanted to have an extended time of prayer, we don't get a chance to listen into that most of the time. The Bible says that Jesus got up early and went to lonely places to pray. John 17 is the only prayer of Christ in the entire New Testament where we listen in and we hear Jesus have an extended time of prayer with the Father, and he's doing that out loud in front of his disciples because he wants them to know his heart. And the same is true of us in 2022. Jesus wants you to know his heart and Jesus wants you to share his heartbeat. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and that's why he gave us his word. As the world is changing around us, as the world is trying to redefine truth, Jesus says truth has always been and always will be from me. And I want you to have one heartbeat of what that truth is. So we listen in to hear the heart of Jesus in this prayer. And in the beginning of John 17, he prayed about eternal life. He said, this is eternal life that they know you and the one that you sent. What is eternal life? It's not just getting out of hell and getting into heaven. No, it's getting Jesus into you. Last week, he talked about, or two weeks ago, he talked about what is a true disciple? What is someone who truly knows Christ and loves Christ? Last week, he talked about what's a true mission. What are we called to do? We're called to make disciples who are just like us. Well, now... He's talking about, this is like a summary statement as we look at verses 20 through 26. Jesus kind of repeats what he's been saying, not only in John 17, but all the way back to John 13 when they entered into the upper room for this last supper. This is a great summary. So if you missed the past couple of months, you picked a good Sunday to show up because this is gonna be a final summary statement of what he's been saying, of what's most important, of what his heart is and what he wants you to have a heart for as well. And so what does he want us to share one heartbeat for? Well, I'm gonna share four particular things that I believe he's sharing uh, throughout the end of this prayer. And we're gonna start with number one as we look at verses 20 through 21 and the portion of verse 25. Number one, we must share one heartbeat for God's kingdom. We must share one heartbeat for God's kingdom. Now, a key in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples that are sitting in the room with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then skipping over to verse 25, he says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. We said a couple of weeks ago that God, and Jesus, of course, himself is God, God the Son, God has a general love for all of creation, All human beings are made in the image of God and they're worthy of respect and dignity because they have been given the image of our creator. But we also said that God has a covenant love and concern for his own that is just different. And the example I give, and I gave it a few weeks ago, is if you'd had two children playing in the street and one was your child and one was your child's best friend and a car was speeding down the road and you only had time to save one, Certainly, you would want both of them to be saved. But the one that has your blood flowing in their veins is just different. And I think that's how God feels about his covenant people. But here's what we need to understand. We, as human beings, because of our sinful nature, we do it all the time. We draw a dividing line and we say, this is us and this is them. And we do it in so many different areas of life. We do it with ethnicity. We do it with socioeconomic status. We do it with sports teams. I mean, us versus them could be black versus white, rich versus poor, conservative versus liberal, Phillies versus Braves, Metter versus ECI. I mean, we, by our fallen nature, we wanna know where we stand and so we draw lines all the time and we say this is us and this is them. Well, God does not draw the same lines we draw. I don't know if you know that God only draws one line and the us is those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and the them are those that have not yet come to faith that were called to minister to until them becomes us in the Bible there's only two races Now, there may be many ethnicities, but there are only two races in the Bible. And and Romans 5 pours this out. There's the race of Adam. Okay, you and I are born into a fallen, sinful nature that we got from our great-great-grandfather Adam. And then there's the race of Christ. One you receive when you're born. The other you enter into when you're born again. When you receive the Holy Spirit and you become one with Christ. And so the us versus them is those who have come to the light and are saved and know Christ and are promised eternal life and the them are the ones that have not yet come to faith, the ones that we're called to go and share the gospel with, the ones that we're called to minister to, the ones that are living in darkness. And so I wanna say, if we're gonna have one heartbeat with God, we need to share one heartbeat for his kingdom. He does not divide the way that we divide. He just doesn't. You know, I, one of the things that I love about heaven when I think about it, every tribe, every tongue, every nation since the beginning of time until the end of time who've put their faith in Jesus Christ will be gathered around the throne and we will be worshiping in perfect and total unity. Right now, it's hard to fathom because of how many dividing lines we make versus us versus them. But hear me clearly. You have got to start looking at other people as made in the image of God, worthy of love and respect, and someone who Christ died for. And if they don't know Christ, then they need to be someone that we pour our heart out to and share truth with so that as Jesus said, he's not just praying for us but for those who will believe in him through our word. We need to have one heartbeat for God's kingdom. We really do. We need to have one heartbeat for everyone that is them until them becomes us. That's number one. Number two, as we look at verse 22, we need to share one heartbeat for God's glory. Verse 22 says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Now, I've said this many times because, again, I was not raised in church, and so when I came to faith and started learning all these church words, I think sometimes I would think pastors just assume everybody knows what that word means. Well, one of the words that you probably heard in church your whole life if you've been here is uh, glory, but do you really know what glory means? Well, glory to me is something that's threefold, okay? Glory is fullness, radiance, and honor, Okay, fullness is something that you have, all right? The Bible sometimes talks about the glory of riches. So you have glory when you're full of something. All right, radiance, that's the the, the beauty, it's something that you show, okay? The radiant glory of God. The Bible says that when Moses came down the mountain, he had the Shekinah glory of God over him and they had to put a food lion sack over his head because they couldn't even look at him. All right, that's the radiant glory that you show. But then there is the glory that you give. That's honor. You pay honor. You give glory to someone of who that's worthy. And by the way, God is worthy of all glory and honor because it's who he is. But yet the Bible says that he shares glory with us. He shares glory with us. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that even though we're broken sinners... When you get saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of you and the Bible that is right beside you and Jesus who's walking with you, you begin to change. Now, that process is so slow that sometimes we don't recognize it, but if you're walking in the Spirit and you're reading the Word and you're you're serving in a local church, God is changing you, he's transforming you. So over the course of time, you begin to take on that heartbeat of Jesus. But hear me clearly, the moment that you die, if you're a Christian, all right, the moment that you die and your spirit separates from your body, the Bible says that you enter into a state of final glorification and you receive that spiritually when you die and your spirit separates from your body, you're clothed in light. The sinful nature has been fully removed. You'll never have a sinful thought, word, action, or attitude again, and you enter into the presence of his glory in heaven. But even better than that, the Bible says that one day upon the return in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise. Those who are alive at the coming of Christ will be changed in a moment, and you'll get a physical body that is glorified. And will never decay it will never decrease it will never have separation of spirit and body again you will be glorified so right now God is changing you on the inside but one day the outside and the inside will be absolutely perfect in every way and that's something to praise God for he's sharing with you his perfection now two things I want to say about that one We are in the process of of heading towards glory, but we're not there yet. Now, I heard this the other day. Uh, One of my heroes, Billy Graham, his wife, uh, Ruth Bell Graham, uh, she decided one day they were driving home from a crusade and they went into a construction zone. They were driving on the interstate, and there were all these signs that said, Construction Zone, five miles, Construction Zone, two miles. Uh, And then you got into the construction zone, and then there was a sign right when they got to the end of the construction zone, and it said, Construction is now over. Thank you for your patience. And she asked that they put that on her tombstone. And if you go to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and you see where her tombstone is, that's what it says. Construction is now over. Thank you for your patience. And what a beautiful image that is because that's what's happening to me and you. Right now, we're under construction. Right now, God's doing a work in our life, and it's messy. God is showing us sin in our life that he wants to clean up. God is trying to show us through relationships and through physical battles and financial struggles that we don't trust him the way that we should. and he's stirring us up, and it's messy, and it's hurtful, and it's frustrating, and it's exhausting, but God is at work in us. We're under construction. But there will be a day when you take your final breath and your spirit separates from your body, and it will be end of construction, and to everyone who walk with you, it'll be thank you for your patience. There will be a day that we will be glorified. And by the way, you must be glorified or you can't be in the presence of God and that's why Jesus had to secure your glory and he did it in two ways. Jesus had to live perfectly the way that you and I should have lived but couldn't and then he had to die sacrificially to take on the punishment that we deserved but we couldn't handle so that if you put your faith in Christ, the reason that when you die, you're automatically glorified and covered in light is because Jesus earned it for you. Remember what he says in this passage, the glory that you have given me, I have given it to them. He doesn't say they earned it. He doesn't say they worked for it. He doesn't say they deserved it. Jesus says, I give it to them. And the reason that you need to be glorified is because when you're in heaven, it's a perfect place. And God will not tolerate imperfection in heaven. And when you're there, you're not going to tolerate it either. So you have to be made perfect. Here on earth, that's a lifelong process. But that process is over the moment you die. If you're a Christian, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Praise him for his glory. What a precious promise. Let us share one heartbeat for God's glory. Third, we must share one heartbeat for God's love. One heartbeat for God's love. Verse 23 and then verse 26 kind of repeats the same thing. Jesus says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even Love them even as you loved me. And then verse 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is an unbelievable statement that Jesus makes. Jesus says, Father, the way that you love me, you are now going to love them. Now, you and I, we can't fully understand this with our mind right now because we're not in heaven and we're not in the unfiltered presence of God, but you need to get this. If if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. All All the wrath and all the anger for your sin, it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. So if you're a Christian, you've become an object of God's love and the Father sees you as his own son because the blood of Jesus covers you, and so you're an object of his love. Now, you haven't fully experienced it. It's already true, but you'll experience it the more that you enter into his presence, and then you'll be in his full presence in heaven. I mean, I'm telling you, every problem you have right now would just fade away if you could taste the love that God has for you. It would change everything. And and Jesus is praying. He is praying that you and I would be transformed by that love that God has for us because when we receive that love, we're going to pour that love back out to other people. And when we pour it back out to other people, that is when the world will start looking at the church and say surely there is a God because those people love in a way that I'm not capable. What's the issue? When the world looks at the church, they don't see us as any different than them. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. And I think you and I don't love other people the way that we should because we have not tasted the love that God has for us. And why is that? Well, hear me clearly. The love of God never changes. God cannot love you any more or any less than he does right at this moment because it's his nature. His love doesn't go up or down based on your behavior. He loves you because of who he is, not because of our behavior. But what happens when we're living in sin? When we're living in sin, we put up a barrier to the love that is always there. The example I gave on Sunday night a couple of weeks ago when we're talking about the heart of Christ is, imagine in the wintertime when you crank up the heat in your house. Now, my dad always said, if there's a room that I'm not using, close the vent. Now, I'm bad about that. I don't ever touch the vents. But my father, if there's a room that he's not going to be in that day, the vent was getting closed so the hot air could go to the other rooms that he was a part of. Now, just picture a house with all the vents that are closed, if you turn the heat on, the heat is there, but you'll never taste it, you'll never experience it, you'll never be warmed by it because you close yourself off to receiving it. And that's what happens when you and I live in sin. When you and I know what God has called us to do, but we actively, tangibly, intentionally don't obey God, you're not losing his love, you're cutting yourself off to the love that is always there. And the more that you open yourself up to the love of God, you can't earn it and can't lose it, but by obedience, you open yourself up to it. When you open yourself up to that type of love, it'll change the way that you love other people. So if, you're not, if you haven't experienced that love, I just want to ask you, when's the last time you confessed sin and turned away from it? God's love for you hasn't changed. Your experience of it has. It's time to open those vents again. And that happens through confession and repentance. And know this, there's not, you are not so far away from God that you cannot turn back because his love is greater than your greatest sin, I promise you. So that's number three. We need to have one heartbeat for God's kingdom, God's glory, God's love. Fourth and finally, and this kind of brings the series to a close. This brings the message to a close. This is the perfect summary, and it's also, by the way, my favorite topic. We must have one heartbeat for God's presence. Now hear what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants to be with you and Jesus wants to be with me. Can I, is there better news that I can give you today than that? He wants you, he loves you, he, he, he wants you to be with him. And he's been saying it over and over and over. In John 14 that we looked at a couple of months ago, he said that he's gonna come back and get us, that we could be where he is. And then in other parts of the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 4, at the second coming of Christ, when the church is called up together with him in the clouds, it says, so we will always be with the Lord. The Psalmist said in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I will tell you this right now. You're in this room. You're thinking about what you have to do next week. You're thinking about your kids. You're thinking about a doctor. You're thinking about relationships. You're thinking about work. You're thinking about finances. The presence of Jesus Christ trumps all of it. What could you possibly need more than Jesus in your life? And what satisfaction could you possibly have more than having the Son of God in your very presence? He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to experience His presence. You know, why don't we fully experience Him right now the way that we want to? Well, the image that I want to give you is this. Remember, I've been talking about this for weeks. The Bible says that Jesus is the bridegroom and we as the church are the bride. And the Bible says that in the book of Revelation, when we are finally united with Christ, we will eat the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb because we are actually going to be married to Jesus forever. And the image I talk about when you see the beautiful bride coming down in white, that's us, that's the church. And the white is the glory. It's the perfection that we've been given by faith in Christ. And the groom, that's Jesus. And the father, takes the hand of the bride and puts it in the hand of the groom, just like Brother Larry sang last week. "We are the gift of the father to the son." Now why hasn't he come yet because he's getting the house ready? It says in John 14, "He's gone to prepare a place." Well, guess what? In Jewish times, and sometimes here in South Georgia, but more so Jewish times, they had a, a year-long engagement called a betrothal. And after they were betrothed, that was an engagement time. now it was as if they were married. But while that betrothal was taking place and they didn't move in together yet, it was because the groom was getting the house ready. The groom was getting land from the family and he was building a house. Do you know what Jesus does? He's a carpenter. He's a builder. And he's building the house. Now, he's preparing us. He's molding us and shaping us and changing us through his spirit. Remember what Ruth Bell said? We're under construction. But he's also getting the house ready. But whether you die and take your final breath today or Jesus comes in the clouds today, which could happen before this service is over, he is coming to get us, that we will be with him. And I promise you this, there's nothing that you could ever experience better than Jesus himself, all right? And the reason why is God gave us many pleasures in this world, but he made them temporary on purpose, so that nothing could take the place of your heart but Him. He gives us many wonderful pleasures, but you know the most miserable person on the earth? The miserable person who's trying to take those temporary pleasures and make them permanent. And I've given so many examples, I'll just give you a few that I've talked about before. I remember, And a bunch of Braves fans in this room will laugh at me. But I remember being on my face in 1993 when the the Blue Jays beat the Phillies in game six of the World Series. Joe Carter hit the home run. I 13 years old. I cried my eyes out. And I said, God, let my eyes see a Phillies World Series victory. Let my eyes see it. And in 2008, I saw it. And it was amazing for 15 seconds. For 15 seconds, my father, my brother and I, we jumped up, up and down. We jumped all over each other. We poured, I don't know what we were drinking that night. We just poured it all over each other in the living room. It it was magic. It was 15 seconds of pure bliss. And after 15 seconds, I was already getting on the internet to see who their free agents were to see if they could do it again. I was already looking towards next year. So I said, well, maybe it's not the Phillies, it's the Eagles. The Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. When the Eagles win the Super Bowl and they finally put Tom Brady in his place, man, this is just gonna be heaven on earth. And it was for 15 seconds. But by the time the post-game show was over, I was like, well, what's next? And you and I have had that experience our whole life. I remember saying when I finally become a father and I remember when my daughter was put in my arms And that was a sweet and special moment. But I remember thinking, all right, well, when she's old enough to talk, we'll have a relationship and it will finally fulfill my heart. Oh, she can talk now. (laughs) And we have some sweet moments. But God did not create my child to fill my heart. He did not create sports to fill my heart. He did not create sexual pleasure to fill my heart. He did not create food to fill my heart. He created Jesus to fill my heart and yours. And all these other pleasures, they're there temporarily as an encouragement from the God who loves you. But oh, they will never take the place of Christ. And if they do, you'll be a miserable person. Because if you try to trade Jesus for something else, it'll never be enough. But when Jesus becomes the focal point of your life, You get wonderful taste tests of what's ahead right now, but you get a yearning. The more you know Jesus, it's not the more satisfied you are. It's the more that you yearn. I remember yesterday I was in my living room by myself, and thank goodness I was by myself because I was praying one of those prayers where I was hoping the neighbors made, their windows were closed. And I was just saying, God, I want more of you. I've had a taste. I've had these sweet moments with the Lord, and I just want more of Him. And I know the more that I walk with Him, the more that I'll begin to experience that. And I know when I'm with Him in heaven, I'll have the fullness of the presence of Jesus, love covered in flesh and bones. And when Jesus looks at you, He will look at you with love like you've never experienced. And He wants to be with you forever. That's the best news that you'll ever hear. And until that time comes, Jesus says, Lean into me, hear my heartbeat. Stop trying to replace me with things that I gave you as a gift. I am what you need. Hear his words again. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. He's the bridegroom and he wants his bride and he's coming for us. Are you going after him as much as he's coming after you? You'll never have true peace in this world until you do because your heart was made for Christ. So how how do I sum this up? In one sentence, summarizing this entire series and then summarizing this entire message in one sentence. So as you hear Jesus pray, do you share one heartbeat with him for God's kingdom, glory, love, and presence? Do you share one heartbeat with him for God's kingdom, glory, love, and presence? That's what it all comes down to. So, kingdom. Maybe today's the day that you stop drawing those dividing lines of us versus them and stop looking at people by the the color of their skin or by their socioeconomic status or by what sports team they cheer for or what denomination they belong to. And you start looking them as people who've been saved by Christ or people that Christ died for that don't know him yet because they're in one of two categories. That's the kingdom of God. Maybe it's glory, maybe you need to to think about what you can do to bring glory to God and also meditate on the glory that God is preparing for you. I say this all the time to those that are physically going through serious issues. When you look at the things that you can no longer do that you wish you could, can I tell you this? Look ahead to where you'll be able to do that and then some. That's not wishful thinking. That's a promise from scripture. You are going to get a glorified body and you will be indestructible. You know what I can't wait to do one day? Burn my CPAP machine. There will be no ridiculous hoses coming off of my mouth in the middle of the night strangling me like a boa constrictor, okay? It's just not, I don't have to worry about that in heaven and neither do you. You know, the other night I was getting ready for bed, I looked ridiculous. I had a CPAP machine on, then I had a special pad to protect the CPAP machine from messing up my hairline. Then I had a pair of blue blocking glasses so I could read my Kindle without getting a blue light screen to keep me up all night. I said, this is ridiculous. None of that has to happen in heaven. Everything will be in perfect order. You and I will have new bodies on a new earth and we'll experience the way life was intended to be before sin. We're not there yet, but we should meditate on that glory. Meditate on it. Then there's love. You need to meditate on the love the Father has from you and you need to live in a state of repentance and faith to experience that love. You can't put that pressure on your children and you can't put that pressure on your grandchildren. They can't love you like Jesus does. But when you experience his love, it'll change how you love other people. And then finally, his presence Seek after him with everything that you have and know that, no, you're not gonna experience his full presence right now. You couldn't handle it. But God is faithful to, to open your heart that you could experience a little bit more of him each time that you seek after him until the time that you'll be with him in glory forever. His kingdom, his glory, his love, and his presence. That's the heartbeat of Jesus. Now, as we pray, if you're in this room, Are you a part of us or are you a part of them? Because if you're a part of them, I want you to be a part of us. And I don't just mean a member of Cedar Street. I mean a member of Team Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you because you are a sinner who needs a savior. He had to live perfectly for you and die sacrificially for you and rise supernaturally for you and send down his Holy Spirit for you and come back for you to make all things new. Do you love him? Are you willing to give your life to him today? And if you are a Christian, maybe you've been building up sins for so long that the love of God is like the heat in the, air, in the, air, in the central heating and air system and you're just not experiencing it because your vent is closed off. Turn away from sin and turn towards Christ and open the vents and experience a peace that transcends understanding because it comes only from him. So as we pray... Ask yourself, do you have one heartbeat with Christ? Let our heartbeat to become more like his at this very moment. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, if you could walk into this room right now, Jesus, and we could cast our eyes upon you for one minute, for just 60 seconds, every problem we have would fade away because your kingdom And your glory and your love and your presence are what we are looking for. Help us to find it in you. Help us to have one heartbeat with you. Oh, Lord, help this church and help this community to be unified in a way that we've never seen so that the world that's from the outside looking in goes from them to us. And they want what we have. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified in this room. May hearts in this room be open to your movement and your spirit. May we be obedient to your word. May we be faithful in your kingdom. May we be seeking your glory. May we be recipients who share your love and may we be people on mission to bring other people into your presence. Thank you for bringing us to the upper room. As we leave this series, Lord, help us to Hold on to your heartbeat everywhere we go. And help us to be faithful, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.